Okay, sister, serious question. When was the last time you felt your libido ticking like a rock star? Does it feel like it's been a while? Do you wonder where it's gone? Are you wondering if this is just a part of quote unquote aging and what you should accept in the perimenopause and menopause years? There's actually more to it than you think, and there's some really simple ways to get your juices flowing again. I am really, really excited for this episode. So if you have been struggling with this, if you've had questions about this, if you've had no one else to talk to about this, this is the episode for you. Welcome to this episode of the Period Whisperer podcast top 5% podcast in the wellness industry in the world. Thank you so much for being here. Let's grab a pen and paper. And you know what? Let's put down any shame and embarrassment. Let's come with an open heart and let's dive in. What's up, sisters? Welcome to the Period Whisperer podcast. I'm Bria. I'm your host. If you're new, I'm so happy you are here. I'm your perimenopause and menopause sister, your holistic trainer, hormone specialist, translator of your female body. I'm a recovering people pleaser and hustle addict turned body whisperer and hormone decoder. And I am here to help you de-stress your body, decode what it is saying, become the CEO of it, and own your own health, energy, and weight loss again. This show is for you, the overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated step woman who dreams of a body they feel strong, energetic, and sane in. The woman who knows that she shouldn't just wave the white aging flag and believes in a body and life of peace, love, and purpose. But you don't just know how to get there yet. So if you are stuck in your body, your energy, your life, you are in the right spot. Let's lean in and learn what our bodies are saying to us. Hey, sisters, welcome back to the Period Whisperer podcast. You know, one of the most common things that I have gone through and that I've heard from so many of you guys about the struggles that we go through and and hormonal shifts in perimenopause and menopause is our libido and how we're not feeling it these days. And the other part of that, which maybe isn't as noticeable for women, is really just this big lack of pleasure overall in our lives. And ironically, one of the best ways to release and create pleasure that is free for most of us (laughs) and and available at all times has a lot to do with our libido. So I am really, really excited to have an amazing guest on the podcast today to talk with us all about that. She's an Eastern medicine doctor and an intimacy and relationship coach. It is Dr. Kate Gordon, and I am really happy to have you here, Dr. Kate. I'm so glad to be here. I love this topic. Yeah, I love that you love this topic. And for anyone who doesn't already follow Dr. Kate, go and check out her Instagram. We'll make sure to um, put everything, of course, in the show notes. But, you know, I one of the things that really made me want to have you on this podcast, Kate, was really your just how gentle but genuine I think you are and and real about this topic that I think is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I think it helps to bring a little humor and a little gentleness, knowing that it is a topic that carries a lot of shame and a lot of charge for so many people. Yeah, definitely. 
So maybe you can start and tell us just a little bit about how you managed to get into Eastern medicine and as a doctor and also how you got into intimacy and relationship coaching. Yeah, I got into Eastern medicine after I sought out alternative modalities for dealing with my own anxiety and insomnia. So I was really struggling with with sleeping and with feeling anxious and didn't want to keep being prescribed medication and thought, well, what do I have to lose? I'll try out acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And it was so transformative for me in so many areas of my life um, that I was really inspired to go study it myself. I was like, people need this. This needs to be more readily accessible and available and more people need to know about it. Oh, yeah. And I loved doing that work for a long time because it's deeply holistic. It not only addresses physical symptoms, but it looks at the underlying emotional causes and the the cultural conditions, the climate conditions. It's truly holistic medicine. So it sees the individual as part of an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me look at all the different ways in which our lifestyle choices and relationships impact our health. And from there, it was a natural progression into doing more relationship and intimacy work because I started to see that the thing that would get in the way of my patients fully healing from chronic conditions in particular would be the quality of their relationships and the trauma that they had around relationship. Wow. It's uh, it's so amazing to even think of it like that, even recognizing kind of, the, as you said, like the ecosystem, the environment, it's that holistic way of it impacting us. And it really, we don't, that's not normalized for us to see it that way. We really think of health as in like what's going in, what's coming out of our body, you know? And so it's, yeah. it's, it's so true and incredible to hear you kind of talk about that for sure. Yeah. And I think it helps us feel more connected when mm-hmm. we can see ourselves as a piece of a, you know, a picture that includes the the plants around us and the humans around us and the weather around us. And it's a little less isolating to know that we're part of an ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love that how you sort of explained that it's the natural evolution of, of it moving towards the struggles we have and kind of these obstacles of our relationships and you know, how we allow them to keep us stuck maybe, or how they, you know, keep us where we're at as opposed to overcoming these, these things. So that's a beautiful line to draw. So tell us a little bit more then when for, maybe you can explain more to to the listeners about what is changing and shifting in our libido or in our hormones that impacts our libido in these years, these sort of menopause transition years. Sure. So many things. So (laughs) from this same perspective, we can look at it from a few different lenses and we can certainly look at it from the lens of what's happening in the physiology and our hormones, right? And from the hormonal perspective, as, as cells start to age, your ovaries and your adrenal glands produce fewer amounts of reproductive hormones, Mm -hmm. which means less testosterone, less estrogen, less progesterone. And each of those hormones plays a role in how interested in sex we feel and how pleasurable sex can be. So that's certainly a component of why people will notice a shift is as those hormone levels drop, it can contribute to not only having less desire, but also feeling less pleasure because there's less lubrication or less pleasure because we actually don't have the hormones we need to have adequate oxytocin levels, um, or even like testosterone is involved in strength of orgasm. So there's all kinds of ways hormonally 
Um, we can notice changes as hormones shift in terms of libido and pleasure. Yeah, that's incredible. And is it just, it obviously in that sense, it continues as we move even further and and sort of reach menopause and beyond. Yeah, it does. You know, that piece of the biologically driven factors around libido and, and pleasure are somewhat hormonally determined. The good news is there's lots of other factors when it comes to libido and pleasure that have nothing to do with our hormones. And so we don't have to be, you know, it's not like we're doomed to not feel desire and to not enjoy sex as much just because our hormones are dropping, nor do we have to all, you know, artificially keep ourselves in a fertile state forever to enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of those things then. What are those other things that impact that allow us to trust and believe and move forward into a a rich, pleasurable life in these years? Yeah. So I think it's helpful to think about our animal nature a bit, right? So we're designed to be as a species to keep the species alive, meaning we're designed to reproduce. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to ensure the survival of the species is to make sure that we have lots of hormones pumping that make us feel interested in sex and that makes sex feel fun during our reproductive peak years. And then as that becomes less necessary, that hormonal, those hormonal pieces shift. And in, in a similar way, we're designed to pursue relationships during our reproductive years that are for healthy offspring, meaning the kinds of partners we're attracted to are going to be partners who make good fathers and have healthy sperm. Mm -hmm. And that determines a lot of how we choose into partnership. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get into perimenopause and menopause years, the your biological impetus changes. It's not to make babies anymore. And so the reason for sex has to change, right? You're not, you can't just rely on biology to be like sex is, you know, you don't have that same drive. That being said, you as a human might, you can have all kinds of values around intimacy, sexual intimacy in particular, right? So it has to be more about why do you want to be sexually intimate? If it's not coming from a biological urge, is it because it brings you closer to your partner? Is it because there's heart connection that happens? Is it because it's a way to experience transcendence and unity? You have to have other motivating reasons to be interested instead of sort of we get a little lazy and relying on our hormones to make us interested. Hmm. Interesting. So we need to spend the time to get to know ourselves a little bit better to understand what even drives us towards intimacy. Yeah. Like what does sex do for you? Mm-hmm. So is it about um, less stress release? Is it about closeness? Is it about um, an altered state of consciousness? You know, I think it's important to look at why you want to be interested in sex again. What are you looking? Is it just because you're feeling devoid of pleasure? Interesting. I'm taking notes because I find it <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Because it is, it's, it really has so much to do. And this is something that, you know, I, I have learned and I talk about a lot in here is just, again, that real journey into self that isn't typically fostered in our culture. Would you agree? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, we're so trained to be externally, I mean, in certain ways, externally oriented, right? Like externally seeking mm-hmm. as opposed to tuning into what's true for us. Or we're also, we're inundated with information 24 seven of other people telling us what we're supposed to care about. Mm-hmm. And so it can be hard then to take a moment to think, okay, if I wasn't conditioned to be this way around sexuality, how would I want to be? What, what would be my choice? 
And, you know, that makes it, it's obviously that's a really clarifying question for people, but I think it's probably a harder one for us to ask than, you know, than we expect. So here we are, we know, you know, women listening to this podcast and certainly where I'm at in my age box, I understand what you're saying that we know our, our, our hormonal drive to have sex or to feel desire and intimacy in that way is lessening. So how do we begin to do this exploration then um, in that more sort of emotional and personal desire side? Yeah, I think that it can help maybe to look at it from a couple perspectives. One to think about is, is is sexual intimacy a value of mine because I see the value in being connected to my own pleasure. And if that's the case, it also opens up all this possibility, right, for sex to look different than like the very narrow view of penetrative intercourse with a partner, right? right. Like we get to start to look at sexual pleasure from the lens of like of pleasure of what there's so many ways to experience um, pleasure that maybe don't fit that particular model and letting it be okay that maybe your interest in in being sexually pleasured shifts a little bit. Maybe you're more interested in in sexual intimacy that's around um, like sensual touch or Mm -hmm. around oral or around other things that might just be interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that's one piece. And then the other piece is if, if sex is a value, because it's a way it's a shared value in your partnership, if you're in a relationship in which this is important to your partner. And I think a lot of women find themselves in this position where they're actually feeling badly because their partner isn't having the same hormonal shift. And so their partner's wanting a lot of sex and they're like, I don't want it like he does, or I don't want it like they do. And what's wrong with me? And it's this pressure to be able to sort of satisfy their partner's desires. Yeah. And in, even though obviously there are, you know, I think it can make us feel close. There is sort of that real self-abandonment of when we decide to do something fully to, for someone else, but maybe it doesn't feel right for us. Yeah, I see this so much. I just had a client recently who was really in this pattern with her partner of, you know, they had scheduled sex dates on Fridays and she dreaded it every week. I mean, she did it purely for him and there was a total self-abandonment in it. And so, so much of our work was around how can we make, if you're going to say yes to this, how can it be a true yes? How can you actually do it from a place of your own desire too? And even if that desire isn't necessarily, oh, I feel it in my body that I want sex, Mm -hmm. but if it's, I am doing this as an act of generosity because I value the closeness it brings because I value like gifting in this way, but finding the authentic desire in it and how important that is. Um, And so I think that piece, you know, it's also maybe worth a conversation in your partnership as your hormones shift around expectations and ways of meeting each other's needs for connection. Because even for men, while they might have that hormone driven urge for sex, that's higher because their testosterone, their testosterone drops with age too, but mm-hmm. it might be dropping slower at a different rate. Um, but to talk about how their needs for intimacy and connection can get met, that might not just be traditional penetrative sex too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Having open communication. Yeah, we're into it. Imagine that. 
huge fan of like, let's talk about this thing that's happening where like, we're different than we were 15 years ago. And like, what do we want it to look like now? And maybe it's more about quality than quantity. Like, I think that's a big, important shift for people Mm -hmm. is like, maybe you plan nights that are really slow and sensual Mm -hmm. and include tons of foreplay. And you do that, you know, every couple of weeks or once a month. And there's a lot of intention around it. And you treat it like a date or like, like you would when you were first dating and you put that amount of care. <laughs> exactly. Save your legs, get all excited about it, buy a new outfit. And if it's like so pleasurable and the focus is pleasure and not on any particular outcome, like mm. that's a win-win. Mm. Um, that's amazing. And then, so actually I have so many questions coming up Let's start here. So what percentage then of, of a connected relationship with someone else, what percentage does communication play have a role play in that? Oh gosh. I mean, I guess, are we talking nonverbal and verbal communication? Yeah. I mean, it's all of it, right? It's yeah, like, I guess that, that is our relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And and what about sort of our comfort level with ourselves? What because often women, you know, one they are struggling with this this piece of the dropping hormones, but you know, there's there are they are shifting in, in a way that just the way our bodies kind of shift when we, you know, get pregnant. You know, there's like a major shift happening here. And so we can feel really different in our bodies or our bodies can respond differently. Um what yeah, what is that like what role does that play in all of this? Yeah, I think that it depends a lot on on what your individual perspective is on aging and beauty and how much value you've attached to being a sexual object or to being desirable in a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? So if your whole life you've lived with this perspective of my values based on how sexually desirable I am, then shifting out of your fertile maiden years um, is going to feel really challenging because you're going to be questioning your worth constantly. Yeah. And it's going to be a necessary maturation process to start to identify your value with something other than being a sexual object. Yeah. Again, this doesn't mean you can't have a rich, fulfilling sex life, but if you're comparing yourself to, you know, beauty culture, diet culture standards, mm-hmm. and which are so hyper obsessed with, you know, women who are looking fertile in that phase of life, it's going to be really tough. It's hard to find body acceptance if that's the standard. And I think that it's important to, to focus on what other value you're bringing to the world. And for a lot of women in those years, you're so much more interested in how you can serve and how, mm-hmm. you know, you're loving and caring for the people in your family or in your community. And that becomes more of a focus as it should, like it's biologically appropriate for you to have your attention, not on being, you know, not on being someone who's desirable for partnership because you're not trying to make babies. Yeah. What, what is the impact do you think of having this kind of pleasure, you know, if, whether it's self or with someone else, you know, what are the things we can point to in terms of impact of our life, of our own fulfillment that this brings to the table? Are you asking like, what does connection to your own pleasure do for you in your life? Yeah. Why, why is it important? Why? Yeah. Why do we care? Okay. I love this question. So pleasure, I think of pleasure as a nutrient in the same way that sleep or food is like, I actually think we need it. 
And I think we need it for a few reasons. One, because when we experience pleasure, there's this cascade of anti-stress, anti-inflammatory chemicals that happens in the body actually keeps us vital and healthy. So it's necessary from that perspective. Mm. And I also think of it as sort of like the antioxidant for life stress, right? If we think about, oh, we eat blueberries and we do wild salmon to help counteract the effect of other oxidative stressors in our diet. It's like pleasure is the antidote to having to deal with the onslaught of shitty news every day, right? Like we actually need pleasure to build resilience and to be able to show up for life because life is too hard without pleasure. It's that reminder of the polarity of life. Mm -hmm. And And though there's hard, there's a beautiful aspect and not losing sight of that. Absolutely. And I think the burnout that people experience or the cynicism that comes in or the jadedness oftentimes is around not making enough space to tune into pleasure, to experiencing the small joys and the the areas of enjoyment. So make pleasure a priority, whether it's alone or with someone else. (laughs) Yes, a hundred percent. And and certainly the pleasure that we can derive from our own bodies is like you mentioned, like it's a free accessible source and it's really empowering when you realize that you don't have to look outside of yourself to find pleasure yes. right? We're marketed to constantly of like, you'll feel better if you buy this thing or if you take this course or if you eat this way or whatever. And it's like, we live in these vessels that are pleasure vessels if we let them be. Yeah. So, Tuning into that is also helps us be really free from um, sort of the trap of constant consumerism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very beautifully vulnerable and humbling experience, isn't it? To realize like what you are in control of within yourself and what is possible for you in those moments that you don't need to look outside of yourself. And and also, you know, in my experience, knowing yourself has a lot to do with your ability to connect with and be open with um, and be intimate with someone else. Yes, 100%. And I think that's certainly something I, I see in women, you know, in their 40s and 50s compared to women who are younger is there often is a deeper sense of self and more confidence in who you are and what you have to offer. And that can make a sexual intimacy in particular so much richer because you aren't performing maybe the way you used to, or in your art, you're able to actually stay in your own body and your own experience. And you're not just trying to get someone else's approval. It's, it's more for you. And that always makes for a more enjoyable experience. I think that's wisdom too, isn't it? Right. Like that's the beauty of, of, you know, having more wisdom as you age is being able to be more present. And that presence is really important for this, this drive for passion and pleasure for sure, or the, the accessibility of it, I guess, is maybe better. Yes, absolutely. So, sorry, were you going to say something? Did I cut you off? No, So obviously there's, we're kind of talking about a couple different things here when it comes to the supporting of, you know, of our dropping hormones, is there anything that we can do to support those um, to keep that from dropping so quickly or or dropping right out before necessary. I mean, obviously we know this is a time in our life that is going to happen, but is there anything we can actively do or simple steps you can offer us? Yes. Oh my gosh. So many things. I mean, one thing that I'll say is, is conventional or traditional uh, Western medicine says that our eggs are 
aging, we're born with all the eggs we're ever going to have and they're just slowly dying and then everything's slowly, right? Like that's sort of the perspective we've been given on fertility and hormone health. And and it's not true. So, um, you know, the reason that you see women who are having babies, you know, when they're 50 or staying fertile is because we actually do keep making eggs the same way that men keep making sperm. And so this whole, it's interesting how much um, patriarchal worldview has seeped into medicine in the sense of like, oh, women are like, we're aging in a way that men aren't right. Is sort of what we've been taught. And it's also totally inaccurate. And I share this because what actually causes eggs to age or fertility to decline is the same thing that causes anything else in us to age, which is the impact of stressors, whether that's, um, toxins in the environment, emotional stress, lack of sleep, inflammatory foods. And so the more of an anti-inflammatory nourishing lifestyle you live, the more healthy and robust and fertile your hormones will stay. And so anything basically that helps, including like like pleasure and including relaxation, including sex, you know, people joke that having lots of sex will keep you young and it will. I, I, I'm like blown away right now. So what I hear you saying is that obviously what we what we think in Western in Western medicine is that you know age means that we will eventually stop producing eggs because we are aging. But what you're saying is that it's not because we are aging; it's because of our life choices and the and and the stressors that are happening in life to cease us from having healthy healthy eggs. Exactly. Wow, I did not know that. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly a more empowering perspective when you realize that, sure, there's an inevitability to aging in the sense that time will pass and cells will eventually degrade. But it's not like they're degrading just because time is passing, they're degrading because as time passes, we're exposed to more things that degrade cells. And we have a lot of control around that, not full control, but a lot. Yeah, we do. And I mean, this is why people can look very different at different ages or at the same age. Yes, right? you can see it, right? Just looking at humans, you're like, why does this person look 30 years older? I mean, yeah. it's not logical if you think we're all aging at the same rate, which we're obviously not. No, no, that's fascinating. And and in, in a, a patriarchal culture where, as you, you know, as we were talking about earlier, where we are really encouraged to look outside of ourselves to decide how we are and who we should be and how to look younger, you know, we have so much power, as you're saying, and not, I think that's, I can't believe I hadn't really extended that all the way down into our, you know, our sex organs, that that is the same there. It's not just about how healthy our, our other organs are. Like that's a very powerful place to stay young and youthful by making these same decisions. Yes. And on a, you know, to get more granular with it, one of the, one of the primary things that keeps our hormones healthy longer is blood flow to our pelvic bowl, literally blood flow to your reproductive organs. So as we, one of the things that often happens as people age is they become more sedentary. Mm -hmm. Um, they stop having as much sex. Mm -hmm. They don't touch their own bodies. So these things that we associate with youth are also things that keep us youthful. So Mm -hmm. the more blood flow that you have to your pelvic bowl, whether that's through exercise or strength training or self-pleasure or intimacy with someone else, these are all things that keep your hormone levels higher, longer. Wow. 
all the same things that we, we, you know, and we look, we look, I feel like as humans, we struggle so much. We look for very complicated ways to do really simple things. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because we need shortcuts or maybe because we think there's some secret pill potion or something out there that we don't know, but it really is kind of comes back, back down every time to this, you know, calm, mindful, anti-inflammatory honored way of living body, mind, soul, and, you know, sexually as well. Yeah, 100%. And maybe that gets to be a relief is that it doesn't have to be super complicated and simplifying might be the secret we're looking for. Yeah, I think you're right. So regular orgasms, ladies. Yes, (laughs) yes, truly. Mm -hmm. They'll keep you young and give you that healthy glow. (laughs) Yes, it is true. I love that. That's okay. So obviously all the things that I know we talk a lot about on the podcast will help support those hormone levels and everything. And then, you know, we started talking a bit about it, but when it comes to this, this more emotional side of pleasure and intimacy and, and self-pleasure, what are some simple ways or things, suggestions you can offer to the listeners to start, you know, deepening and growing this part of their practice for themselves so that we can almost stay balanced as these hormones drop and develop that aspect of our lives. Yeah, I think that on on an emotional level or and I think emotional level, I also think nervous system level, right? How do we manage uh the stress of one of the things that shifts for women a lot, you know, from their 20s and 30s into their 40s and 50s or 60s is they're often working in a career where the stakes have gone up. There's more responsibility. It's higher stress. And they're often caring for families. They're caring for partners and kids. And so all of these things can really increase the overall stress load and make it hard to find time to tune in with ourselves, to actually feel into what are our needs because we're so oriented towards um, taking care of other people or showing up at work. And so one of the things that I think is so valuable is to make it a priority to carve time out every single day that's just for you, to make time that's for you to feel into how is my heart? What do I need today? How am I doing? Like a little inventory of like, am I actually, are my needs getting met? And so that you not only can can hear what your body or your heart is needing from you so you have a chance to show up for that. But also just because it's that moment of pause that is so regulating for your nervous system, which then, of course, helps everything in your body is so anti-inflammatory. And and what do you say to those women out there who even that question of asking themselves of get how do I get am I getting my needs wet invokes some type of shame response around feeling like I shouldn't prioritize myself that way, or I should be putting everyone else around me. Yeah. I think it's sort of, I mean, I always use that example in the airplane of you putting on your own oxygen mask first, right? And the martyrdom is so built into our culture, especially for mothers. And what I observe is that people who are under-resourced, women who are under-resourced and depleted aren't actually serving anyone in their life, right? It actually ends up just being this source of friction and your nervous system dysregulation impacts your partners and impacts your kids. And so I think it's actually most loving to show up for your relationships and the people in your life from a place of being fully resourced, which means you have to tend to your own needs. 
Yes. And set the example for that next generation of, I mean, young women and men. It's like not just if we want to change the story, if we want to change the narrative, it's not just about even showing our daughters how to treat themselves, but showing our sons how their wives or their partners should be able to treat themselves. So yeah. Yeah, that's really, really wonderful to hear. I know we talked a little bit about, so when it comes, sorry, when it comes to this, you know, calming of the central nervous system and carving out this time, what could that look for someone on a daily basis? There are so many ways to do this. If you're someone whose tendency is to stay super busy and be in go, go, go mode, then I recommend starting by scheduling in time where you're sort of forced to do it. That might look like a yin yoga class or you're booking some body work, acupuncture, massage, or even just putting it on your calendar. Like, okay, on Sunday during this hour, it's me time. And that can look like you're journaling, you're laying on your floor, stretching. I mean, it could truly be so many things, but to make it something that you schedule like an appointment with yourself. Right. For those hustle addicts and tight personalities <laughs> up there. Because you'll forget, right? You'll everything else in your day will fill up and then that time won't exist anymore. So you have for most people, you have to plan it in. You have to book it in. Mm-hmm. Something you said in one of your posts that really just it touched me and inspired me and certainly empowered me around this stuff. You said intimacy in any relationship requires presence, attention, and finding resonance. Same is true when it comes to intimacy with your own heart. Mm. Yes. Reminder that in order, it's almost like we can only give to others as much as we're giving to ourselves. Yeah, 100%. And, and it's helpful to remember this about the way other people in your life are too, right? Like other people can only support us to the degree that they're supporting themselves. So if our intention is to, um, live a more wholehearted life, this actually really requires that we take the time to get quiet enough to feel ourselves, to slow down enough to tune into our own intuition. That intimacy with self, that intimacy in our relationship with ourself allows us to do deeper connection with other people. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And Something else I heard you say that I think is really relevant was just around how the it takes the body time to catch up with the mind. Yeah. Can you say about that? Because I think that that is really, if, and I think that that is, I mean, that's powerful on so many levels. You know, certainly when we're often driven by like weight loss and results on a scale, like it takes the body a little bit of time to catch up with where you're trying to get it to go. And if you give up too soon, then we won't get there. But I mean, obviously this applies to our intimacy with ourselves or, you know, but maybe you can speak to that for a little bit because I found that to be so powerful. Yeah, I think I see, you know, in in being in healthcare for so long, I see so many conditions and symptoms and diseases that are the direct result of people who didn't listen to body cues because they were too busy. Mm -hmm. They didn't actually um, notice the early signs of imbalance because of the pace of life that we're in. And so the same thing will happen. You know, we, we move so quickly. We often don't have time to process experiences that happen on an emotional level either. So you know, we sort of move on quickly from a fight with a partner or with a friend or something potentially even traumatic that happens in our lives. We think like, oh, well, I've got people to take care of and things to do. I don't have time to dwell on this or to be sad or to be angry. And so we try and speed up the moving along process. Mm -hmm. 
And what ends up happening is that essentially unprocessed experience and material gets stored in the body. The body contracts, the body creates stagnant areas of stagnation as a result of that. And that eventually over time, those build up and create disease in the body. And so knowing that our, our physical body needs time to work through experiences we've had too, can be motivation for carving out that time to do body-based practices, do somatic-based practices so that we don't have this backlog of emotional experience of life experience that then as soon as we slow down, you know, people have that feeling of like overwhelm or they touch a little bit of grief and all of a sudden they're like, I can't stop crying. What's going on? You know, it's going to be very confusing because there's so much backlogged emotion. We haven't had time to feel. Mm-hmm. And it can be easy to start reaching out to numb those things even further. So hustling is obviously, as you're saying, you know, that kind of over productivity to not feel is a really socially acceptable way to numb, but certainly reaching for, you know, food or, you know, substances to help us shopping, even like these different ways that we do that. And, uh, and that kind of describes American culture, right? We're all trying to numb out from all the things we didn't have time to feel because we're trying to make money to survive in this capitalist society. I mean, this is the hamster wheel that most of us find ourselves on. So what do we do? (laughs) Because I think, you know, often we come to these things, we listen to these podcasts, I do it too. And it's like, you know, I recognize myself in the things that you say, you know, and um, that's obviously where, you know, I felt connected to you and wanted to have you here. And I know that when women listen to this, like, that's what makes them reach out to talk about the ways that they recognize something. So if we, if someone listening is recognizing that they are on this hamster wheel, what's the first step to getting off? Hmm. I mean, the first step I think is definitely noticing like, oh, maybe I don't want to do it like this anymore. And then there's so many small ways you can gesture in that direction. So gesturing in the direction of of slowing down a bit or of taking some time to feel yourself, um, of not skipping past an emotion that might be coming up can look like I just mentioned, as simple as booking some time in your calendar, it can look like adopting some kind of morning practice, which I'm a huge advocate for. Um, and a morning practice doesn't have to be like you wake up and you know sit in meditation for an hour. A morning practice could be 15 minutes um, that you just keep your phone in airplane mode and you know you have like a sunny window spot that you sit in with some tea and you just are in silence because we so rarely have that space. And you just let yourself be present with whatever's there. I mean, it can be that that small. And if we think about how much time we spend, you know, scrolling Instagram or it's like you have 15 minutes a day, everyone does, but it would require you making it a value to, to do that instead. And I loved, I, I think I read somewhere where you saying like, it doesn't, your morning routine doesn't have to be something you dread or that, no. like, you know, and, it, and it's so true. You don't realize just the power of choosing to do something calming or in touch with yourself to develop that, that isn't some hard, insane workout that you're just wanting to be over. And the only pleasure you get out of it is that, oh, you're so glad you did it and it's over. Like, yeah. That's not really the point. <laughs> totally. Again, going back to pleasure, right? You get to think about like, what would feel really good for me to do for myself for 15 minutes in the morning? Like, what do I actually crave more of? Mm -hmm. And you build that in. It certainly doesn't have to be something, um, you don't have to torture yourself. It doesn't have to be hard first. 
That's, and, and we're just not, you know, this is just not, once we kind of leave childhood, actively pursuing pleasure, I feel like actively pursuing the things that make us joyful and happy is really not a normalized process. Like it's not a, a habit that we are encouraged. It's not like we don't get recess anymore once we hit high school. So I know it's just such bullshit. Like really <laughs> cool to be in recess. I'm like, you ask any kid what their favorite part of school is, and most of them will say recess. So. Right. No, yeah. And know. gosh, talking about things that keep you young, you see that people who know how to play are the people who stay youthful. Um, but yeah, even just, you know, even after this listening to this podcast, just taking some time to sit down with yourself and make a list of what brings me pleasure. Mm. What do I enjoy? And if you're feeling, I have had women who feel really stuck with this question and they feel a lot of shame for not knowing. So if you get stuck, if you're like, why isn't anything coming to mind? Oh my God, my life is terrible. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> you can think about Go spiraling. You, right. Don't, don't <laughs> spiral. I would encourage you to think about memories where you were like, are having a really good time. It's like fun memories and what was happening, who was there, what were you doing? What created that? And then also think about what did you love to do as a child? Like, did you love to draw? Did you love to play dress up? Did you love to dance? And consider reactivating some of your childhood hobbies and interests. Yeah. There's even so much power in like, like listening to a song that used to be your like 1990s jam, right? Yes. (laughs) Instant pleasure. Like who can't get joy out of that? You would sing along with your friends, you know, especially when you first got your driver's license, like some of these things, they just, they reinvigorate that part of yourself, which then opens it up further for you to remember those things that brought you pleasure. So. Yes. I love that one. That's such a good one. Music's amazing for that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Kate. This has been incredible. I hope that everyone listening, you know, one, you know, was empowered to dive deeper into their pleasure, you know, into themselves, but also, you know, into their, into their relationship with intimacy, into trusting that their body is capable of so many things, you know, and supporting it in so many ways, but really bringing more pleasure into your own relationship with your own heart, which I know is a lot of what you're about, Dr. Kate. So thank you so much. I, you know, I I will put everything in the show notes, but maybe you can share right now. What is the best way if people want to learn more about you or be in your world a little bit more, what's the best way they can do that right now? Instagram is probably the easiest connection point and there's links for my website there and it's at Dr. Kate. Awesome. Pretty easy with an E on the end, C-A-I-T-E. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure and I'm really, really grateful for your time. I know that this will bring a lot of pleasure to a lot of people. Oh, thanks. It was lovely to get to be on this podcast with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Period Whisperer podcast. I want to encourage you to reach out to me directly and message me if there are topics or things you're struggling with so we can address those right where you are at. And of course, if you loved this episode, if you learned something, make sure to share it with your friends and please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts.